0: It's good to see you guys. My name's Josh, as Mark said. Welcome. Uh, How's everybody doing tonight? Okay, it's good. Some of you are like, no, you're just supposed to talk. We're supposed to sit here and be quiet. Um, (laughs) Anyway, glad you're here. Uh, Let's pray before we get started. Uh, Father God, you're incredible. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and just speak to us. I just pray that your word just jumps out of the page to us and just is alive and just penetrates our heart, God. And we just, we just seek to understand what you're saying and seek to understand who you are. Father, we thank you for your word and I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, we're going to be reading, as Mark just said, in Habakkuk, not Habakkuk. So if you want to get a Bible from the back, it's going to be on page 662. Uh, please do get that, because we're, we're going to be reading through it in some other scriptures. I tried to think of a way I could tell you where it is, but I really don't know, so it's, it's in the Minor Prophets. And, you know, when you talk about a Minor Prophet, as you can imagine being a prophet of the Old Testament, you have to bring a really big Bible, because that's just, you know, what I imagine. So, uh, anyway, what we'll do is kind of run through, like, a, an outline of, of Habakkuk and give a little background on it, because I just think it's good if we introduce a book to kind of know like where exactly in time is this and maybe what are the things that are going on. So um, Habakkuk, his name means one who embraces, which will be important a little bit later on. And he was probably a contemporary to Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, Zephaniah, some of the other more well-known prophets in the Bible. And he was basically preaching to uh, the kingdom of Judah. Right? So sometimes around 600 years B.C., Uh, You know, the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, was sent into captivity to the Assyrians, and Judah was there. And they kind of had a history of of good kings and bad kings, good kings, bad kings. Well, uh, Habakkuk lived in a time of of Josiah, who was a good king, and he instituted some spiritual reforms, which is always a good thing. But then his predecessor, Jehoiakim, uh, really kind of just changed those. All right, so he changed a lot of the spiritual reforms into this change, kind of Habakkuk is writing to to his people. Uh, So if we can just put the the outline up on the screen. I'll kind of take a look at that. um, Hopefully we can see it. It's a really short book, so I encourage you to go home and read it. It's only three chapters, and I think it's a pretty simple outline, but it's basically split up in two complaints and uh, two responses and then a prayer in chapter three. So basically, just to run through it real quick, the first complaint... Uh, is basically, you know, God, we're your chosen people, Israel, and we're we're acting really wicked. Why aren't you going to do anything about that? And then God's response is, well, actually, I am going to do something about that. I'm going to send the Babylonians to judge you. And as, you know, sometimes when you ask questions, you really don't want the answer. Habakkuk got an answer that he didn't want. So he asked another question (laughs) and he says, well, hang on, God, if you're, if you're good and you know, and your eyes are pure and and you're holy and you're loving, why are you going to send a people that's more wicked than we are to judge us? And then he gets another answer to that. And God says, much like in Job is basically his answer is, well, Habakkuk, I'm God and you are a person. And there are some things that you're just never going to quite get. But I'm also going to judge the Babylonians as well, so don't worry about that. And, and the amazing thing about chapter 3 is that Habakkuk actually just prays. It's just a, it's a, it's a prayer in that whole chapter. And he basically just exalts God for being who he is in the good times and the bad. So it's really fascinating. I encourage you to go home and read it. Uh, tonight we're just going to talk about the first 11 verses. So it's basically going to be the first complaint. Yeah and then God's response to that. And hopefully what we'll do is just pull some questions out of the text um, and then apply it to us right now because, as you know, Habakkuk is just as inspired as all the other books in the Bible. Amen? All right, so we're going to look at that. Uh, So if you have a Bible, page 662, we're going to read the the first 11 verses of... So now I'm all confused when I say it. I don't know which way to go, but sorry. Okay, let's just say Habakkuk. (laughs) So let's just uh, let's go ahead and read uh, verse 1. The oracle, which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry out, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look upon wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. And then God's response in uh, verse 5 says, "'Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening.'" Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings, and rulers are laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. So, if we just take a look at the first uh, four verses, it's going to be Habakkuk's complaint. And, and tonight, I really struggle struggled with this because you know, I, I want to put some things out there for you, and I don't want to tell you how to think about them, but I do want to put them out there and ask that you, you, you and God deal with them uh, in however way and however form that that looks like. So, don't take my word for anything. Go back to the Bible, search the scriptures hit your knees in prayer and ask God um, um, to speak to you about these things. Because at the end of the day, with, with minor prophets like this and these ideas that we're going to talk about, it all comes back to the character and nature of who God is. Okay? And so that's what we're going back. We're going back to the person of who God is when we talk about these things. So I'm going to just put some things out there for you and let you deal with them. Uh, the first four verses, you're going to read a lot of words like violence, iniquity, wickedness, destruction, strife. verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 also says that uh, your law is ignored. So in other words, Habakkuk is living in this time. There were spiritual forms. Now there's not. And he's seeing this just avalanche of wickedness happening around him. And I think we can maybe relate that to some of the things in the world. Uh, But he says your law is ignored. And this is a really interesting word. I want to talk about this just real quick. The word ignored means ineffective or numbed. And and the idea is that if you go outside on, on a cool or cold day, or actually a very cold day, and uh, you forget your gloves, and if you come back inside, your hands are numb, and if you say you tried to pick up something or use your hands for something they're normally used for, they would be ineffective to do that. And so that's the idea of what Habakkuk is saying about God's law. You know, it's meant to do something. It's meant to restrain the wickedness, but it's unable to. Um, In verse 3, he says, justice never goes forth. So this idea of the law, restraining wickedness and and putting forth justice, but it's not happening. So, of course, he says, you know, what's going on with this, God? And just so that we don't think that Habakkuk is kind of just like a killjoy and he looks around and see people having a good time. uh, He just wants to kind of pour some water on that. Uh, There are some other prophets around that time who said the same thing. And you don't have to turn. Uh, I'm going to be reading a couple of verses from different places so you can just listen for these. Uh, but in Isaiah 1 through 20, he's speaking about the city of Jerusalem. Uh, same people that Habakkuk's talking to. In one twenty, he says, uh, how the faithful city has become a harlot. She was full of justice. Righteousness once lodged in her, but now murderers. Uh, in chapter 5, verse 20, Isaiah says, woe to those. And listen to these contrasts. This is really interesting. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who substitute light for darkness and darkness for light, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And as we think about that contrast and, uh, you know, what Habakkuk has seen, I think to pull from that just a question, which which I really had to ask myself, and I want to put that out there and ask you, we won't necessarily answer it, but uh, definitely the wickedness, the iniquity, the violence, it bothered Habakkuk. Okay, it bothered him to a great extent. So the first question I want to put out, out there for you is that when you experience that in your walk, everyday life, does, does it bother you? Does wickedness, does evil, does violence, does iniquity, does it bother you? I, and I think that we would all say things like, yeah, violence, that bothers everyone. But does just general people not living to God's law, does it bother you? And the reason why I'm saying that is just because I think it bothered Habakkuk, and even more importantly, I think it bothers God. And so what I would like to do is kind of just take some verses, maybe not verses that we're used to, to reading in church, but nonetheless, I want you to keep in mind that hopefully these will just shed a bit more light on the nature and character of who God is. And believe it or not, I do want to actually come around and talk about God's love. But with talking about God's love, I want to also talk about this idea that God is not happy with evil and wickedness in Habakkuk's day and in our day. So let's look at a couple of these verses um, just very quickly. One from the New Testament, and uh, excuse me, one from the Old Testament, and one from the New Testament. And the reason why I'm doing that is because you know a lot of people sometimes say, "Well, the, the God of the Old Testament, He's the Ur God, and the God of the New Testament's I call him Fluffy Bunny God, who just kind of hops around and sprinkles love everywhere." But hopefully, we'll see that they're one and the same. So let's look at Psalm 97.10. It says, uh, Hate evil, you who love the Lord. Interesting contrast. In the same verse, he's got evil and love. Romans 12.9. This blew my mind. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Strongly hate it. And cling to what is good. So... So in both of these, we're having this idea with, of love, especially loving what is good, and, and, and actually hating, which is strange to say that, hating evil, right? Not hating the people, hating evil. You might say, well, that's great, that's, that's to us, maybe we should hate, able, we should, we hate evil, but does God actually, is, is our God of the Bible the kind of God that would even hate if I can just put that out there. Well, let, let's take a look at let's take a look at some more scripture. It looks like at Proverbs chapter six, verse sixteen, um, and I'm just picking ones out. There are many to choose from. Proverbs six sixteen says uh, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to Him: uh, haughty eyes or, or proud eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly into evil, a false witness who utters lies. And one who spreads strife among brothers. Many passages we could have chose from. And once again, I'm putting these out there. Go to the scriptures. Go to God. Talk to him about this. And for just a minute, I just want to stop and do a rabbit trail. Because I think this is going to be important. Sorry, I'm from the south and we say things like rabbit trail. (laughs) I want to divert here for a minute. Uh, I want to talk about the idea of God is love. And reconciling that with this idea that the scripture talking about God hating evil. Because I think that people have a real problem with how God could be both, and, and I just I just want to submit to you: any person that you know, do they do they have one character trait? Is any person, you know, just think of them. I, I know one probably comes out. Maybe that person is really happy, or maybe that person is really, really intelligent, whatever, whatever it is. But there is no one person that you or I know of that has just one character trait. And God, in a way, is that same way, where He has multiple facets to Himself, and one is not necessarily more important than the other. And I think sometimes we hear the phrase, God is love. Number one, what gets happened is it gets taken really far out of context with the things. Not saying God isn't love, because He definitely is, but another idea I'll put out there for you is that in Scripture, God's love is usually always talked about with His righteousness. Okay, it's always together. And, and I'm going to give you kind of just something that's been on my heart just for the past few months, talking about this idea that God is love. Um, I think sometimes what we have the tendency to do as Christians is create like this, and you have to visualize this with me here, is we have like this box, okay? And this box is just, is just about this big. It's not very deep. It has a lid. And we say, okay, this box is, is what I think love is. I'm talking about God is love. It's what I think love is. Okay, it's got a lid. And then we take God... And we grab him and we stuff him into this box and we close the lid. And we say, okay, God, you cannot do anything else besides what I think love is. That's the only way you can respond to anything is how I think what love means. can't do anything else. And what I think is a better way of looking at it is actually not starting with our idea of what love is. is actually going to the scriptures first. Because after all... The scriptures is about us knowing the person of who God is and saying, okay, God, you've told me in your word what you're like. You've told me who you are, and I want to define love from who you say you are. So what am I saying? When we talk about these ideas about God is this and God is that, especially God is love, we want to start with who God is first. We don't want to go through the list in our mind of what we think love is. Okay, so that's just one, I'm just setting that out there for you, for you guys to think about. just um, kind of moving on from that. If we take a look at verse five, okay, verse five, we're going to start to walk through now, I guess, uh, God's response to Habakkuk's complaint, God's response to Habakkuk's complaint. I'm not going to go through each verse but I'm just going to kind of group them together. Pretty much uh, verse 5, God is just, just looking at Habakkuk saying, okay, get ready. Uh, I am about to judge the wickedness of Judah. I'm about to do it. And then in verse 6 through 10, he pretty much just describes the Babylonians. Okay? And he really does this to show Habakkuk, hey, they're a fierce people, and when, when I send them, there's going to be no, you know, They're not going to turn back, and you will not be able to stand up under it. Uh, So I'm just going to just quickly read just some phrases from verses 6 to 10, and hopefully we'll bring another question out of that. Uh, He says things like in verse 6, The Chaldeans, they're a fierce people. They march throughout the earth. They seize dwellings. Verse 7 has an interesting verse. It says, uh, They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. And we'll come back to that. Uh, The horsemen come galloping. The horsemen come from afar. They find like an eagle swooping down to devour. Verse 9, all of them come for violence. Okay, so once again, God is just describing this horrible thing that is about to come upon Judah. And history says that that it did come upon it. And they just about ultimately destroyed Judah. Um, One of the verses I want to look at specifically and where I want to take my second question to you guys is verse 7, which says, Their justice and authority originate with themselves. And hopefully we'll try to explain that just a bit. But the people that God was sending to judge Israel were essentially people who said, uh, you know what, we decide what is right and what is wrong. We decide. Not God, it's us. There is no authority over us but what we decide. As a tough, as a tough, a tough thing to bring out. And I found myself asking that question in my life as I was preparing for this sermon. And so I just want to put it out there for you as well, is that who provides the authority for your life? Or ask it in a different way. Who, who determines what is right and what is wrong in your life? And we'll go back to this idea of, of love as well, and this time talk about Jesus. Uh, in John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, so now this is a personal loving connection with Jesus, if you love me, does anybody know this verse, you'll go to church regularly. If you love me, you'll be a good citizen. If you love me, you'll, does anyone know this? Obey me. So what is interesting about this idea of love and authority and what's right is wrong is Jesus seems to be saying, you're going to demonstrate your love for me by, if I'm your authority and I'm deciding for you what is right and wrong, not, not yourself, which to stop and ask yourself that question uh, is really challenging. One to do it, but I think it's good of us to do it as as the children of God. Um, we're down to, we're down to verse eleven. But what I would like to do is is stop and not read verse eleven just yet. And what I would like to, to like to attempt to do is to apply some of this uh, to our lives. So I just want to make three three kind of points about this, uh, and then tie it back into verse eleven. Uh, And how I would like to apply this is through looking at the lens of three different people or kind of putting ourselves in the shoes of three different people. So when you're thinking about this, see if you fall into one of these three categories. You may or may not. I don't know, but that's what I'm going to attempt to do. So maybe you're someone who's like Habakkuk, and you're saying there's a lot of stuff going on either in my life or people's lives around me. And to be honest, God, it just doesn't seem like you're doing anything. And I don't understand why that is. You may be in, in, that, in, in that type of situation, like Habakkuk was in, okay? Um, and what we're going to do is just read some verses from Hebrews to hopefully apply this. So if you do have a Bible and you'd like to now turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, we're going to stay there for the next few minutes. Um, so I'll just repeat that real quick. If you Put yourself in the shoes of Habakkuk, and you're saying, uh, there's a lot of evil and wickedness, and God, I don't understand what exactly is going on. You don't seem to be God when this is happening. I thought you were loving. I thought you were good. I'm not understanding how this is working. Um, Hebrews 10.30 says, uh, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay And again, the Lord will judge his people. So why why are we reading a verse about that judgment? Because this is what I want you to think about. Sometimes when we get this idea uh, that there is nothing being done about the evil in our life, we seem to think that we are the ones that can make it right by taking vengeance on someone else or some other thing. And I just would want to say to you that it's God's job to do that in the way that he sees fit. It's not ours to personally seek out vengeance against someone else or something else. And that may not be done in the right time that you want it to be done or I want it to be done in, but nonetheless, those type things are for the Lord, not for us. Uh, Secondly, if you put yourself in the shoes of the children of Israel. So talk about Habakkuk and the children of Israel, where you would say, you know what? I, I am uh, I'm God's chosen people. I know I have a relationship with God, and, but maybe uh, maybe there's some things in my life that aren't exactly the way that they need to be. Maybe, maybe some of you are in those shoes. And if I could just stop and tell a little story, um, kind of illustrate how, how God was speaking to me about this part of it, um, my, my life group, I love my life group, I'll just plug life groups too. Life group is incredible. About a year and a half ago, there was a, a couple who came to our life group named uh, Harry and Leslie Willie. so if some of you know them. Uh, and I'll never forget, Harry is, is quite, likes, quite likes being English, which is a good thing. And the, the first day I met him, he, I, I opened the door and I said, you know, hi, my name's Josh. And he looked at me and he said, you know, hi, my name's Harry, not Harry. I thought, well, this is gonna be good. So over time, we we developed a friendship and uh, he's quite an avid gardener, as I said, and and now they've moved away to New Milton, but they come back every now and then and and Harry does some some gardening at some other gardens. Um, And he's been teaching me how to garden. So sometimes it's really great. Sometimes when he teaches me the Latin names to plants, it's not so fun, but but I I stick with it. And the last session that I got was on uh, bindweed and if you're a gardener, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not a gardener, I'll explain it because I wasn't a gardener last, two weeks ago. But, but anyway, vineweed is, uh, fascinatingly enough, this weed that is a vine, and uh, it grows in almost everything possible. Okay? And what will happen is it will start at the soil, and say if it was in the bottom of a rose bush, and it will grow and wind itself around very tightly around all or every single stalk that's in that plant. Okay, and as it grows, it gets bigger. The, the leaves kind of take the nutrients from the sun, and the, the roots kind of steal the nutrients from the soil. It eventually gets so large that it will choke out the plant that it is growing on. Right? And so you've got to get it out, or it actually ends up killing the plant. And, and I'm not kidding you, as, as, I'm, as I'm gardening, I can't believe I'm doing this, yesterday and last week, and I'm praying, God, what do you want me to say? Uh, to the people about, about Habakkuk. I mean, this is going to be tough, tough to say. He brought back Harry to my mind, and Harry saying, you know, you can't take the vine weed out of the top of the plant. It's wound too tight. If you try to take it out of the top, you just rip it in half, and the root's still there. So what do you think you have to do to get it out? Well, you take a spade, and you, you dig up the root, and then you take the root out, and what happens to the vines? Well, they just die, Okay. So, so what do you mean? What, what, what does all this have to do with putting yourself in the shoes of Israel and bombing all this stuff? Well, we'll just take a look, if you will, at Hebrews uh, chapter 12. And I'm going to start halfway through the first verse. It's, actually, I'll just start at the, at the front of it. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and and i just i just thought i mean i'm gardening okay i've got you know roses they're sticking in my hands and i'm sweating my back hurt i feel old you know i'm I'm 30 now i can't fit in the group that was just introduced i'm too old for that and i'm just thinking of god you know speak to me about this and he's just this bindweed is just wrapped around these roses and, and he's just like josh what what is in your life right now that has just tangled you up what, what has tangled you up that, that's, keeping, that's keeping you from experiencing everything of who I am? And so if you're, if you're in those, those shoes today, I just want to encourage you to ask God to reveal to you what sin is in your life that's tangling you up. And there are some things, that, the answers that can come from that that are embarrassing and hard to think about and all those types of things. And I just want to encourage you with this, that if you don't have the faith to truly pray that prayer, if you keep reading down in uh, chapter 12, it says... Uh, it says, run with endurance the race set before you. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And this is is the best thing. The author and perfecter or finisher of your faith. And what God just spoke to me was, you know what? Josh, I authored your faith. And if you don't have it, I will author you some more. That he wrote your faith like a book. And he has abundant supply to give you. So as we're closing, I, you know, I'm going to do one more application. But as you're thinking about this, ask him. Ask him for the faith to ask him to reveal to you the sin that's entangling you. Yeah. Um, if we keep going down to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, we, we read that God is talking about this idea of, of discipline. And I think that this relates to Habakkuk's day as well. Um, God sent his, his the Babylonians heart for judgment, but also because he loved his people and in disciplining them and sending them far away off, he wanted to bring them back. And as a child of God, his discipline is designed to bring you back to him if you've ran far off. So if I can just read um, Hebrews 12 verses 5 through 11, uh, because it's better than what I could say to you anyway. Uh, so verse 5, it says, uh, Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with His sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. Hmm. He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Amen. I just let that sink into you. In, in the last application, if you're not in Habakkuk's shoes, if you're not in the children of Israel's shoes, there may be some of you in here uh, from different faiths or atheist agnostics. I don't know where you are struggling with this idea of God. Not, not ready to bind to it. Whatever that is. And I... <laughs> I don't want you to think that I'm calling you a Babylonian. You're not like a murdering band of, of crazy people. I'm not talking about that, but I just, I just want to ask you if you're in the shoes of maybe someone who would say, I don't, I don't know God or don't want to know God or don't believe in God or I believe in God in a different way. Um, I just want to hum- humbly read to you um, verse 11 of the passage in Habakkuk that says, uh, they will be held guilty whose strength is their God, talking about the Babylonians. In other words, their strength they thought their strength was their power, their God, okay? And and here's the application I want to make to you is that if you are trusting in yourself that you will be good enough, you will be held guilty. If salvation is rest for you in yourself, you you will be still held guilty. I I'll tell you another quick story. Um, my wife is getting a haircut last weekend, and I was pushing my three-month-old son uh, around Ealing Broadway, and as I, as I call it, I, I was pushing past the Islamic Cultural Center. Have you guys seen it where they have the table? It's just what I call it, and they, Muslims have pass out the tracks. And I was walking past, and I felt kind of the Holy Spirit, you know, just kind of like, you know, put your arms and tray tables inside. The ride's about to begin. Say that to me, and I'm walking past, and I say, God, if you want me to say something, just they're going to have to come up and talk to me. Uh, and sure enough, one of them steps up and hands me a thing, and I, I was like, all right, Lord, well, here, here we go. We'll see how this is gonna work. And we began talking. The guy was a white, middle-class British guy who was a Christian and now has seen the quote-unquote truth and has decided to you know, change to Islam. And uh, we played what I call verbal ping-pong for 15 minutes about who Jesus is, was going nowhere, totally pointless conversation. And the Holy Spirit clears a bell, says to me, ask him about his sin. And I was like, "Um, God, I don't know if you know, but in America, we might be stupid enough to say that. But this is England, and we don't ask (laughs) people in England. That was my inner dialogue. And um, God was like, you need to to obey me. And so I said, all right. So what about, sir, if I can ask you, what are you going to do when you stand before God and you have committed sins? Because he admitted he had. And and he got kind of like you know, what, what, what are you talking about? You know, and he, he, he was on a script well, Allah and blah, blah, blah. And I said, but what about your, your personal sin? And blah, 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 blah. You know, he's starting to shake a bit more. And finally, literally the fourth or fifth time I said it, he just kind of stopped. And he was kind of like, you know what? I believe Allah can forgive me. Don't you believe he can forgive you? And as humbly as I can look at him and say this, humbly I look at you and say this, I said, not without Jesus there's no forgiveness without him. Um, and then then the, the, the switch kind of kind of flipped, okay? And he just kind of stood back for a second. He was looking and he said, because he knew a lot about the Bible. Okay? He knew the Bible. He was hundred times smarter than I was, knew the Bible hundred times more than I did. And he said, Don't you believe you're righteous? He said that to me. And I said, No. He said, That's that's what you gotta get, is it's Jesus' righteousness. It's not mine. And so I would just humbly say to you that if you're trusting in your own righteousness, you're going to be guilty before God. And I just want you to, to take that and deal with it. Um, and as, as I close in prayer, just, just be thinking about whose shoes you're in. And I don't know if Mark will come after or the band will come up, but I'm just going to be quiet for a bit. And um, then I'm going to pray. And then we'll continue the service. So let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I don't, I don't know who that guy was, and I, and I don't know what you're doing in his heart, but I see you save him and be glorified in your life. And I just ask for every person here, God, no matter whose shoes they're in, that if they feel like you're not, you're not there for them, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you remind them how much you absolutely love us to pieces. And I just pray that if anyone is struggling with sin, that you would give them the faith to stand up and say, I need help if I need help. If I, to, if I need to get, get my wife to, to put a password lock on my computer, then I just do it. Or if I hate somebody that I'm working with, then I just, I just ask for forgiveness. And if I just pray for the people in here who don't know you, Father, that you would just save your children in any way that you see fit. And I, and I just I thank you so much, Father, for sending Jesus. I thank you that we are clothed in his righteousness. We love you, Father. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.